0: Welcome to or welcome back to Physiosyncrasy, the podcast about building a sustainable physiotherapy career. Today, we speak to Taryn Schuster. Taryn is a keen diver, West Coast Eagles fan and basketballer. She's also a passionate physiotherapist with experience ranging from working in regional Western Australia to private practice and also occupational health. Today, we discuss tailoring mentoring to help guide new graduates on their own unique path. Removing the stigma from the compensable system And what new patients actually want from their physios Let's get started Welcome to another episode of Physiosyncrasy Today we're with Tyron, a colleague of mine Uh, Tyron, give a welcome and give a brief bio of your physio life and life so far
1: Great, thanks for having me Uh, Hopefully it will be an interesting conversation Um, So basically I've been doing physio it's since 2006 is when I graduated um so I've worked in private practice public settings and now occupational health that I've been working in for a little while and obviously with yourself now at Guardian mm-hmm. um yeah I, I just enjoy helping people and um, obviously there's some challenges along the way that comes with that but otherwise uh, I like to think I'm quite a proactive physio mm-hmm. um and obviously you know I'm quite into my exercise and fitness and things like that so I like yeah. to like that coming across onto my patients yeah cool
0: Now the the first question probably relates to something you just said in terms of um, helping people. Is is that part of the reason why you studied physiotherapy? Is
1: well, that's actually really uh, interesting. And when you gave me the question earlier, I was like, oh, that's that's a perfect one to ask. So I've actually wanted to be a physio since I was about ten years old. Yeah. And the reason for that was because I always got injured playing basketball growing up, yeah. and so mum would always take me to the physio. Yeah. It was actually here in Murdoch, yeah. um, in the outpatients here, oh. and um, just random, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll for you. And um, yeah, I just really enjoyed what the physio did for me, how they explained things to me, how they got me better, and I always went and did my homework, always did my exercises, yeah. got back to basketball quickly, and ever since then, I've just wanted to, to be a physio. So right. always structured my sub- subjects at school to do that, and got the marks, and There you go, physio. (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, uh, I guess one of the important parts of that was having a good experience with the physio that you saw. I mean, I can imagine in in, an alternate universe as if you could have had so many different experiences, but you happened to have a good one, you went down this path. Yeah. What was good about it?
1: Um, Well, I always got better quickly. That was the thing. And I could see how exercise helped me and what someone was telling me to do, how it actually... You know got me better so a lot of the time it was just ankle sprains that i mm. had or, or knee sprains and probably i've had a also had a sublux shoulder i've yeah. had quite a few things like that <laughs> yeah. and everything i did i always got back you know within a, a good time frame that they told me yeah. um plus i also like watching a lot of sports so you'd always see the physios oh, on the exactly. ground and they got my favorite players back quickly that's it so it kind of went hand, hand yeah. in hand nice
0: and the education component sounds like it was pretty key the way the physios explained to you what injury you've done in the recovery process?
1: Yeah, I think um, I've always been someone that likes to learn anyway, mm-hmm. so perhaps that kind of learning style was good for me, yeah. but I can understand how people explaining a lot and talking a lot wouldn't be good for others. Yeah, so, that's right. That's know, a very good point. It's interesting, but if they show me how it's going to work visually, yeah. it can also be just as good as verbally. Yeah.
0: So with that in mind, with your approach to physio, I know education is a big part of what you do, but... Do you pick up on the patients that maybe aren't so interested in that and what approach do you take with them?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So I think everyone is different. Everyone's individual. So you can have two of the same injuries and you have to do two different approaches for those people to get the same result. Yeah. So you do have to kind of read your audience mm. and I like to think I'm a people person. So I just like to build a rapport with them first and then yeah. you kind of can work out what, what's best going to help them. Yeah. Some people just want to you know lay down on the table and have a massage so that's a good opportunity if they want to lay down I can have a chat to them that way Mm. and that they seem to relax and listen to what I'm saying whereas someone just might want to be told straight away yeah what I have to do give it to me you know depending on their style so I think in the end it's just listening to your patient and you should be able to pick up on on their cues of what's going to work for them it doesn't always work but on the whole it does yep
0: and one thing that you mentioned then i picked up from the other interviews so far is value of actually getting your hands on uh even though you know it might not be clinically clinically based Mm -hmm. or in the research it's such a good rapport builder isn't Mm -hmm.
1: it yeah and i think also people just like touch and sometimes that can be healing in itself they say you know you've got magic hands like a lot of people actually would say that to me and i say well you know i'm pretty good at what i do but you know i haven't got any magic in me it's it's, it's just maybe how i'm speaking to them and and getting them to learn how to relax a lot of the time as well um, and understand what's going on yeah nice
0: let's uh, circling back to when you first started Mm -hmm. university as a course. um, What things did you find if you were to go back and alter the course? What would you change? Would you change anything?
1: Um, I was actually thinking about that before because when I um, first started physio, I was actually uh, with Curtin University and we were half over at Shenton Park campus, which was at Royal Perth and then half at the Bentley campus. So I felt like I was just to and fro, not really belonging anywhere until we moved fully over in my second year into Curtin. Um, So that first year was a bit of a blur, to be fair. Um, And it just felt like a whole pile of information was thrown at you, Um, even like with anatomy and and, and things like this. So I think the anatomy and the health science aspect of it that way is really important. So I wouldn't change a thing with that because you do need that grounding. But I did find it probably was quite biomedical in Mm -hmm. its thinking back then. And I don't remember there being a lot of the biopsychosocial stuff that we concentrate a lot on now. Um, But I do believe that, well, for some of the new grads I've been speaking to, they are having a bit stronger focus on that. Mm. Um, But even when I've um, had some students and and new grads with me, they're still very kind of biomechanical or... Biomedical trained yeah. um, that way, which is interesting. Yeah. Mm.
0: So, incorporating some more of those more holistic units, something outside of the medical model would be useful. Yeah,
1: well, I know I do remember having a psychology unit in in uh, first year, but for the life of me, I can't remember no. what was actually in it, but I think if that could be.
0: Sigmund. Rude, yeah, it?
1: we did talk about the five <laughs> stages of grief at one point and then things like that as well, <laughs> you no know, bargaining acceptance and all yeah. that, but that's about the only thing i pulled up yeah. from that psychology on the
0: John don't want to, <laughs> to drag that up.
1: Because <laughs> um, well, I still use it now every now and then. Good. But, uh, yeah, I think if that could be a bit more um, incorporated into what we do now, um, yeah. and particularly like things like Explain Pain with David Butler. Right. I love yeah. that book and I loved his course when I went on it. Um, he started my brain thinking that way yeah. with with that particular style. Yeah. So I think if that aspect can be brought into it, yeah. um, it, it can just mesh it all together, yeah. which I think would be great.
0: a lot of what you're saying is getting better at drawing information out of patients, but also getting better at, explaining things to patients in such a way that's Mm -hmm. easy for them to digest yeah
1: i actually saw a um a little infographic just last week it was just on facebook i don't know if you're aware of the trust me i'm a physiotherapist link yep did you see the infographic where it Um, recognised what patients actually wanted from their physio and it mentioned something about um, just to listen was about 45% of what they expected from a physio and to tell them what was going on they didn't really care if the treatment wasn't great or um, what they were given it was just listen to me and what can I do about it so I thought that was interesting that it didn't even talk about yeah the treatment, you didn't have to do any treatment, it was just listen to me.
0: And that's such a simple go. approach for yeah. physio to take. Yeah, so it? if you listen
1: to them first, then you can figure out what they need and to explain do. explain
0: what you find out. Uh, you mentioned that uh, David Butler's course, obviously he's very big into pain science and pain education. You said it sort of was a bit of a turning point for you with the way you approach physio. What about that course was... So,
1: yeah, so I did that course, I think, after I finished in the public sector. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did deal with a lot of like chronic pain in the public sector. And I think the things I learned through uni and even in my first three or four years weren't necessarily working for these patients. Mm -hmm. We, We get told this will help this, and you know, it necessarily wasn't working that way for me. So I just wanted to kind of investigate a bit deeper into how we could. You know, change this and I, I guess I, I did hear of David Butler and, and his way of thinking um, but I hadn't really done much about it um, purely because I was still learning as a physio so it's probably around that 4 or 5 year mark into my physio career that I thought well hang on I need to change something here because it wasn't maybe working the way I wanted it to yeah nice,
0: yeah. So So had a bit of a problem that wasn't being handled consistently with your current skill set you know? yeah or I mean, people just weren't getting better yeah. in
1: the way I expect them to yeah know?
0: Gotcha. Circling back once more, you graduated from physio. What did you intend to do upon graduation? Did you have plans to go into sport, for example? Uh,
1: Well, after after four years of uni, I said I'm never going back to uni, and and I still haven't. (laughs) Um, But... My reasoning to actually be a physio was to be a sports physio, and it was to be for the West Coast Eagles. That was my yeah. my goal and my my drive. But then I got told you actually can't be a physio for the West Coast Eagles if you are a massive member and a massive fan like I am. So that shot down that dream for me, and I decided just to stay in my role as a physio um, for the general public, um, and work my way up from there. Yeah, so right. that's how that one came about.
0: So what? What what do they mean when they said you couldn't be
1: a massive fan? <laughs> well, basically, you'd be too involved in the team and you and you wouldn't think clearly. Yeah, you'd be um, biased. i would be biased. Yeah.
0: And you just, just have to be played play down and be like
1: West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> they just have to look me up and I've been a member for far too long That's to right. uh, pull the wool over their eyes.
0: <laughs> so did you once you decided to uh, I guess steer away from sports and st- stick more with the general population? Did you decide that you wanted to work in a particular field, private versus public or go into a niche, um, You know, obviously potentially sports or a different
1: area? Yeah, so absolutely. I actually wanted to be a hospital or public sector physio. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just super competitive to actually get in as a new grad Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't have um, a lot of experience in certain hospitals at that time just for where my placements were um, through my course. So I missed out on that first kind of cohort. So that kind of directed me towards private practice, mm-hmm. purely as a learning experience for the muscular yeah. side of things um, to build myself up that way. Yeah. Um, and then didn't have a great experience in my first um, year of private practice, so then ended up heading country into the yeah. public sector that way.
0: Yeah. Do you think that was a, the country experience? was? It oh, a- yeah. So I think I learned
1: the most out of that experience because of all the different fields I was thrown into. So whether it was cardio, neuro, PEDS, working with people in isolated areas, remote areas, um, inpatients, outpatients, you you basically were the physio for everything. Um, So for the three years that I was there, I pretty much that rounded me as a physio now, I think, and then I could branch in different areas that way. Um, So much more enjoyable experience for me than being in the private practice mm. um initially anyway yeah yep.
0: so sort of gives see that well rounded skill set mm-hmm. makes take a bit of resp- quite a bit of responsibility mm. as well yeah uh, you've mentioned before to me um outside off air that you know you gave private practice you know traditional private practice a couple of cracks first straight out of uni and a little bit later down um mm-hmm. you've also sort of said that it sort of wasn't maybe what what you thought it was you didn't particularly like it what well, what was it about it that not, not so much, not sustainable for you as a career choice.
1: Yeah, so I'd actually have been told I was a bad physio mm. because I got people better too quickly. Yeah. Um, so I always thought that was an interesting comment because you, you know, you're you a great physio, you do really well, but you're just not making money. Yeah. And I understand that private practice is a business. Yeah. Um, but I have had some employers who would treat the same person at the same time every week for 20 years. Yeah. And this person would just keep coming back for massage or mobilization or a chat, basically. Yeah. Um, and I just find that's not really mm. necessarily achieving their goals or, you know, there might be various reasons people do that, um, but that's just not the kind of physio I am. I'd rather get them to enhance what they understand about their condition, self-empower and yeah. get them to, to self-manage that way at a certain point once that's they're right. able to. And I'm here to assist them until they don't need me anymore.
0: Yeah. That's interesting because... Like you said, it is a business model private practice. Um, Do you think it's possible to create a private practice that uses that real proactive, empowering approach but is also viable as a business?
1: I would hope so. Yeah. I don't know how that would work and I've never had a business hat on and I wouldn't want to own my own <laughs> business in that sense, but I'd hope that in the future, I think that's where we should be heading is yeah. how can that be viable? How, yeah. how can we get people to help themselves yeah. and be a, a profitable business that's or true. a business that's sustainable mm. at least anyway?
0: You think that, I think you mentioned this in the past, that by being such an effective physio in terms of getting people back to where they want to be, they're going to come back if they sustain another injury, or they're going to refer their friends to the clinic. Um, So that's, I guess, one way of sustaining business in that way as well. Yeah, well,
1: well, I did, um, so the patients that I did get better quickly, they always would come back to see me Hmm. when they hurt themselves again, or if they, you know, their mum got Injured or whatever it might be, so there was ongoing referral right. that way. But I wouldn't need to see them, yeah. I guess, every every week for, right. for 20 weeks or whatever.
0: I think part of the challenge with the private practice is you're measured with your number of per- people you're seeing a week. You know, you only you only succeed in what you measure. So if you're measuring that, then a marker of success is seeing more people. Mm. And one way to do that is continuing to see them over a period of time or Mm. seeing them more frequently. Maybe one thing we need to do is change what we mark as a marker of success in private practice.
1: Mm. I think also with that, like if you're working a seven or eight hour shift, you were seeing three people an hour because it was 20 minute appointments. Mm. So I think the most in a day I saw was 24. Yeah, And I was completely burnt out at the end of that day, but don't feel I was probably doing a great job with each person, That's obviously right. I would have helped them in some way, yeah. but just felt like I was under pressure or under yeah. the pump, which I don't think is sustainable either.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's hard to do the prep work. It's hard to be mindful when you're thinking about the next you just write your, notes, your notes as well. Exactly. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. And then one other thing we talked about off air was Pilates and how that was quite a big part of the way you practice early days. What first got you started in Pilates?
1: Yeah, so when I um, returned to Perth after working in the country, I started at a, excuse me, at another private practice, um, which actually was attached to a medical centre. So we had a lot of uh, patients coming in and out uh, from you know, doctors coming in to see us, um, mainly workers comp at that stage as well. Um, and we had our own gym in in this particular clinic, and I was just looking at ways of. Exercising other than just using gym equipment, Um, because that's all I had known before then. Um, And I think at that time, Pilates was just everywhere, and particularly in private practice. It seems to be a good type of exercise to get people to engage in exercise in a private setting. Um, so I ended up doing a clinical Pilates course that was run through the APA, yeah. and um, yeah, basically it was just looking kind of at, at functional movement mm-hmm. and getting people to learn how to you know relax their breathing while exercising. So all the kind of things that I still use today. Yeah. Um, they did tend to use like reformers and, and equipment like this, but I didn't tend to get down that aspect of Pilates yeah, as yeah. such, um, but just more using their principles and I guess That's philosophies nice. that way.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned a few of those key principles, such as the importance of breathing. What else have you continued to use in your practice?
1: Yeah, I think, well, around this time as well, there was a big focus on core muscles and things like that. And as we know now that there's not any evidence that there is core muscles as such or you shouldn't be learning how to brace or engage no. any particular muscles um, so learning how to get someone to relax and just move as their body allows them to move yeah. um, obviously correcting patterns that might be contributing yeah. to pain but just what their body would do normally that's what we should be encouraging and I yeah. think that's kind of where Pilates can assist with that because you're looking at you know biasing certain directions of movement mm-hmm. and, and things like that mm-hmm.
0: and pilates was becoming big back then but now it's gone even further it's you know there's isolated clinics just for pilates that aren't necessarily clinical what are you, what are your thoughts on where pilates is now as more of a almost form of exercise more than anything else
1: um there are even pilates classes run at like gyms and yeah. things like that which aren't necessarily directed by physiotherapists right. so i'm not haven't really looked into that mm. aspect of pilates but i think as we were saying it's encouraging people to exercise it's encouraging them to move yeah. and if they're engaged in that and feeling better yeah. then it can only be a good thing yeah. um so it probably just shows exercise and movement is in the end yeah. of the thing however you do it is going to help you
0: it's just a different a different way, way. That, yeah yeah it just suits different people mm-hmm. yeah now we did talk a little bit about your time in the original hospital do you think that if you were to give advice to a new grad, for example, would you, is that something that you'd highly recommend to them in their first few years to work somewhere regional in a hospital? Yeah. Like
1: so I, I was thinking about this, um, a little while ago actually, cause I had a chance to actually move overseas for a couple of years and do, you know, work overseas. And in hindsight, whether I should have done that or not, I'm not sure. But I think definitely if you have the opportunity to do that, go for it. Um, but I feel like my country stint was like my overseas stint yeah. in a way. Um, so you were basically thrown into different settings, different situations. And as I said, I learned the most in that arena. So I think for a new grad, particularly as a physio, I don't think we should pigeonhole ourselves maybe into one area. Mm get yourself exposed to as many things as possible because you might find that you're actually really interested in working with you know paediatrics or really interested in working in stroke rehab or whatever it might be as opposed to just musculo which a lot of people associate physiotherapy with
0: yeah that's right and even if you do end up going down the path you originally destined for yourself you might pick up some useful skills along the way anyway
1: yeah and definitely in the hospital setting you had your outpatient clinics which was you know, people with neck pain, back pain, shoulder pain. So you always got those injuries anyway. That was just like a bit of a break from the actual inpatients of yeah. getting people out of bed and coughing up sputum and, That's you know, right. <laughs> all this kind of stuff that we used to do.
0: That's, is that one of the things you found good about hospital, it was and region one in particular, was the fact that there was that variety, whereas clinical, oh, sorry, uh, private practice can often be, like you said, quite monotonous in the back-to-back appointments
1: yeah well I really like variety and I think that's key you don't want to just Mm. be stuck doing the same thing day in day out because you just get stuck in your ways and almost lose interest in in a way so you should always have a bit of a you know yeah that that variety whether it's you know doing marketing meetings to doing presentations to Mm education sessions, manual handling, if that's something that people are interested in, whatever it is, just trying to, you know, spread your seed that way a little bit. Nice.
0: And that goes on to the next question a little bit. You've spent a fair bit of time in occupational physio. Uh, You sort of touched on a few things that suit, that you like about it, that suits you, that variety. Is there anything else about, and I guess it's also related to the speed in which speed is important. Is there anything else that resonates with you in this field?
1: Um, so I think when I kind of started an occupational uh, physio, it was more so the clinic I was working in was attached to an occupational health centre. Yeah. So I kind of was thrown into it in a way I didn't necessarily look for it. It was just yeah. where the private practice was situated. Um, so I think dealing with work injuries, you just had a bit of understanding of different aspects of injuries. So it wasn't just someone paying their money to come and see you. It was actually now someone else that was paying for them To come and see you and kind of looking at people's different attitudes to injuries or when someone else is paying for it how they would approach it Um, so I think that you can definitely see the stigma that can be associated with workers comp that way so I try to reduce that stigma that's that's kind of what I do with occupational health because it should be no different with the injury you get you know bending over picking up a box at work compared to working in the garden at home it's a mechanism of injury yeah. so they should kind of generally peter out the same way well, you know theoretically, theoretically. but obviously, there's other things involved but as soon as there's someone else you know, hovering or involved in it it just changes the dynamics of someone's case so we try to nullify those as much as possible in what
0: ways do you do that you mentioned the stigma and that's you know very strong presence what what do you do to nullify
1: that so generally a lot of people just don't understand the system or don't understand what um, it means to be injured at work or injured in a motor vehicle accident whatever it might be so i i just try to say the system is here to help you it's you've been injured at work it doesn't matter it said if you're injured at work or at home, we still are a physio that's here to help you get better. It's just that there's these other little things involved that we do need to deal with. Um, but I just try to explain that to mm-hmm. them and once they actually go, right, no worries and this is what I need you to, to get better, it usually helps, you know, to de threatenise the situation for them. And yeah. I think that's really important that way.
0: Yeah. It's almost you can pick those patients as well, right? They they're quite standoffish or they say certain things that trigger alarms like okay this Person in some education about the workers' compensation system or the motor yeah. vehicle system. And I
1: think also, um, like within our company, we really promote that early intervention. Mm-hmm. So there's some people that just don't want to be in the workers' comp system. So if an you know, injury appears quite minor and we can actually, you know, improve them quite quickly, then we can kind of avoid the need to become a claim. If you know a soft tissue strain can be dealt with in a couple of sessions or whatever it yeah. might be, exactly. so that makes a big difference too.
0: You mentioned one of the big challenges of working in occupational physio being the stigma attached to it for the patient what would you say is another key challenge that you face frequently
1: well probably in in um, compensation is actually getting approval for things Mm -hmm. so liaising with insurers employers whoever it might be um, to get certain treatment or certain aspects of treatment up and running. Um, so just trying to obviously get in touch with them, contact them by phone, email, constantly playing phone tag, that's just a, a big frustration, which is always going to happen when there's lots of people involved. But once you can establish that line of contact, then things seem to run relatively quickly. Yeah. It's just getting to that point is yeah. quite frustrating. So I, I, I try to minimise it by obviously getting all the contacts at the start of you know the initial session, um, session mm-hmm. and then just make contact with them so they know you know what's the plan is what's going on yeah. so then everyone's aware yeah. of kind of what's going to happen
0: yeah or what's ahead and uh, you, you bring me on to them conveniently you bring me on to the <laughs> next point which is uh, the communication side of things and one of the key parts of being good in occupational health is making sure you're making regular contact with the different people involved um, what what do you think is a key part of being a good communicator in, in the health field, or um, in general as well?
1: Uh, well, I think it kind of comes back to just having that rapport with people, and, and if you're kind of a people person and have those skills to be able to communicate with people, yeah. you're going to get um, um, you're going to get that engagement if, yeah. if if you understand what I mean. So that they'll they'll be happy to speak to you, be happy to help you out. Yeah. Um, as opposed to someone that has no idea what's going on yeah. with their injured employee, when they're going to get back to work, when they're they able to lift 20 kilos again, yeah. you know, if you can just get those lines of communication up and running, yeah. it actually, yeah, it makes a lot of difference that way. Yeah. And
0: well, when you say people person, what it says to me is someone who's interested, someone who genuinely cares, and that comes across with the way you, uh, you know, speak on the phone or how you communicate, is, Is that how you, how would you describe being a people person?
1: Yeah, I think just being actively engaged, active listening. So that's one of the things we did learn in uni was in our health communication unit. Um, That's probably the biggest thing you can take out of it. So if you can just actually take on board what that person is saying, you're actually empathizing with them, you're understanding their situation, and they'll appreciate that more than anything, as opposed to just telling them what to do and not actually listening to what they want to achieve um so i think yeah being a people person is you know having that bedside manner so the number of times i've heard my patients say oh you know i saw this surgeon today didn't even look me in the eye or didn't bother coming to see me for three days in hospital you know they just have this under they don't really um have that engagement the same potentially um and because as a physio we're seeing them more frequently more readily we, we probably understand that a little bit more than potentially, yeah. you know, specialists and mm-hmm. other other um, health professionals that way.
0: And the other thing you do a fair bit of outside of the clinical side of things is a bit of mentoring with, not, not so much, not necessarily new graduate students, but people new to occupational physio. And um, what is it that you've learned from mentoring?
1: Well, definitely there's not one way of doing things. So we always like to encourage the physio's method and way of thinking um we are obviously still evidence-based practice so if certain you know treatment techniques or things like that are being used or perhaps different types of education are being told to the patient that maybe are 20 30 years old we might need to look at just modifying and and tweaking that a little bit um just so where with all within the same line of thinking mm. and, and that kind of biosocial approach, as we said, like in, incorporating all aspects yeah. of someone's life into into that injury, as yeah. opposed to just thinking it as a biomedical yeah. or biomechanical yeah. um, type of um, injury. So, um, I, I quite like um, helping people, and and obviously with the mentoring aspect, um, listening to them about their concerns or if someone's not progressing the way they should, just having that difference, being that different set of eyes for yeah. that case and providing some input and some feedback about how else to approach it um, or perhaps directing their treatment in other directions. So whether it's to an external professional or something like that, depending on what's actually happening with mm. that with that case.
0: The one thing yeah. I've noticed from the way you go about it, the mentoring side of things is you very rarely give direct answers or uh, direct statements about something that maybe could be looked at a different way. Instead, you ask questions back at the the person. Um, is that is that something that you've actively or you deliberately do to, to challenge them to maybe think about the way they're doing something?
1: Um, it's probably not necessarily something I've thought about in that sense. I think it's just how I like to approach things that as I said I don't think it's my way or the highway mm. um, I just get them to think about different aspects that they maybe haven't considered yep. and generally when I have thought about the other questioning I've done it's actually just tweak something within them like a light bulb moment mm. oh yeah I didn't think of that or yeah. um, you know and I'm sure if someone did that with me and had a look over my cases I'm sure there'd be things they picked, would, could pick out that I could be doing differently but in the end as long as you're getting outcomes and you're getting to your goal that's the that's the most important thing yeah. it doesn't really matter how you get there <laughs> in the end
0: what um what sort of things do you try to instill in these in these people that you mentor not necessarily specific clinical skills but is it more so a framework of way to think about managing the case or yeah,
1: i think so yeah and i think that would come back to um, kind of when i'm orientating people to particularly our company just understanding all the different um, people involved within mm. a case and the importance it is of speaking to the employer or speaking to the insurer or even the doctor if, if that's the case um, just to keep those lines of communication open mm. so there's People saying, oh, I haven't heard from this person or I haven't heard how they're going. It just makes everything a bit more streamlined and you tend to get better outcomes that way when yeah. everyone's on the same page uh, yeah. from the starting point. And if you're working towards the same goal, it's a no-brainer for me that yeah. that's the way I'd, I would want to work. Yeah. Um, I guess also with things like uh, report writing and, and stuff like that, we do kind of make sure that the content within the reports is quite consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're getting the most essential information out there um, and reducing the waffle, as I like to say.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yep. That's particularly critical in workers' compensation where the system is fairly slow mm-hmm. and a bit clogged up as well. Yep. So that makes sense. So a few things you mentioned in terms of good overall outcomes and not, not necessarily sticking to workers' compensation, uh, communication with the patient and educating them, empowering them as well. What would you say are the other keys to a good, good outcome for a patient
1: Probably, yeah, for good outcomes, I think a lot of it just comes down to what they want to achieve. Yeah. So, if someone doesn't want to get better, you're really going to struggle achieving your outcomes. So, yeah. I like to kind of get a bit of an understanding about what they actually want to achieve. Um, and, you know, are they happy at their workplace? Uh, do they want to stay in that role? Are they happy at home? You know, you don't want to be like a counsellor or a psychologist or anything like that. But I think just getting a bit of an understanding of, of the patient um, and just what they actually want um, can make a big difference to achieving your outcome. Yeah. And most of the time people just say, I just want to get better. I just want to get back to work. Good. That's perfect. That's, yeah. the, kind of, that's the things we like to hear. But as you start to see someone, other things kind of peek through and yeah. they're things that we do need to address... Um, and just try and get on top of before it spirals out of control. Yes. So I think that's probably the biggest thing.
0: Yeah. Now, what about when a patient isn't going as planned? Their their progress. You know, you thought they'd progress in a certain fashion based on your your first appointments, but it's not going that way. What What's your What's your plan then?
1: Yeah. So I mean, that happens obviously quite a lot because <laughs> yeah. um, we're not not you know miracle workers or anything like that. Um, so when things aren't going as i anticipate once again i'm, I'm just making sure that i have a, a clear understanding of all aspects of the file um, and it's usually at about this point that i do find out that there's other things mm. going on <laughs> yeah. that i wasn't aware of at that time um, but also sometimes you just have to wonder is physiotherapy what this person actually needs yeah. as well so is the physical nature of the injury has that healed that's right. and is there other things that's going on so you just have to work out is what your treatment is and what your management is is it being effective at this point or have they moved past your Mm assistance and perhaps need to be directed towards another way and I guess maybe that's where um, you know we would look at progressing people into an exercise program or some kind of you know treatment like that but then if the patient doesn't want to exercise or doesn't want to step yeah. foot in a gym that's also creating a barrier yeah. um to to that as well so it's yeah very difficult when they're not progressing the way we do but all you can do is notify the people that you need to mm. so the treating doctor um the insurer even the workplace um yeah. just so they're aware that they're not just going to keep sending you back to the physio thinking it's going to get better yeah but just make sure that everyone's aware that this isn't quite what we need at this stage and we need to look somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Would you
0: agree that's somewhat of a grey area in the health setting, sort of that gap between physiotherapy or exercise based rehab and then sort of almost psychology and, and counselling. It seems like some people need need both, but it's it's very they're not responding to physiotherapy and often physiotherapists don't have a good enough understanding of maybe motivational interviewing or those psychological skills that would help them. But if you refer to a psychologist, then they're not going to have the, the skills to maybe reintroduce movement and, and that sort of thing, which mm. is important, even though there might not be physical drivers anymore. Would you agree that there's a bit of a gray area there? Or? Yeah.
1: And I think also a lot of people think physio is just hands on. Yeah. So the number of times that I, that I would hear... People say, oh, they don't need physio anymore, they don't need hands on treatment anymore. Well, physio is not just hands on treatment, as we've been talking about, there's a lot of other aspects to it. So, I think definitely that holistic approach needs to be incorporated. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, we have to recognise that different health professionals are going to specialise in certain areas, and that's where obviously the focus should be. Um, But once again, if you can explain what you plan to do with this patient and how that's going to help them, um, then that can be incorporated into any management plan, depending on. Who's involved in it as mm-hmm. well, um, but there's probably just not a, a great understanding of what each profession does as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and that happens all the time. But yeah. I think as healthcare moves forward, perhaps health professionals will become a bit more um, holistic in that way and incorporating other aspects for what they can achieve. And if obviously it's more than what they can do from a baseline perspective, yeah. we can refer on to yeah. people that can assist otherwise. You've just led me to
0: my next question beautifully. <laughs> These the next few are just rapid fire, so that means uh, just a few sentences, or as is, is concise, it doesn't have to be particularly short, but the first one is, what direction is physiotherapy headed?
1: Um, yes, yeah, so it's a changing field, physio. I would hope that it's moving towards uh, more kind of exercise you know based therapy Mm -hmm. uh with obviously some assistance with the measures that we have learned about but not a massive focus on those measures Um, and then understanding the biosocial approach and trying to um, incorporate that into our treatment more so than what we are currently yeah Yeah.
0: Uh, what has been the biggest lesson you've learned regarding physiotherapy
1: um, and the biggest lesson, well, I haven't touched an ultrasound machine for about 15 years. So I think people are still using ultrasound machines. I'm not sure. Um, but basically, I've actually, I remember there was one time when I did use the ultrasound machine, I actually forgot to switch it on at the PowerPoint. And I was just using the gel Mm. on someone and they said, oh, I'm feeling so much better. I'm like, oh, great. And I had a look at my machine. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not even switched on. So that kind of got me thinking even then that just having a chat to someone and understanding their condition can make them, uh, you know, improve as well. So I don't know whether the ultrasound actually does anything. I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, But that's probably the biggest thing. (laughs) 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 Uh,
0: Okay. So what is the key to a long career?
1: i think the variety aspect so i've obviously worked in public and private practice and then even within you know the the job that we're in now i'm always seeking different avenues within that role um and and not just focusing uh, clinically as such just kind of spread the wings in in other areas Mm um so yeah. yeah
0: and contrary to that what do you think causes or contributes to burnout (laughs)
1: um report writing Um, 24 patients in a day 24 well we don't do that anymore luckily um but no i think because of all this open communication that we have that can lead to some burnout as well so we've just got to find that balance between patient care and our administrative tasks so you don't just feel like you're you know, smashing out all your patients and then having to find a couple of hours at the end of the day to make all your phone calls. So yeah. just learning how to balance your schedule so you have ample time where possible um, to account for that.
0: Sort of related to that, what role do you think technology has in the future in physiotherapy?
1: Well, considering we are mobile physios and we're in the car a lot, I'm hoping, and maybe you can do this, you can create an app that would be voice-to-text. Basically, because um, at the moment the technologies that we do have just aren't, they don't pick up the words that we're saying properly or mm. don't understand the medical terms that we're trying to use. And um, I think something where we can just like dictate it into a microphone or whatever it might be um, can assist with that administrative task. Um, also, te- technologies of Bluetooth in cars, I think that's, <laughs> that's really poor at the moment with uh, some of them. So, if we could be more effective with improve yeah. technology that way, the communication is so much easier because right. people can hear what we're saying and it's not like you're you know, in the middle of nowhere.
0: <laughs> it's, it's efficiency. We're just losing that bit of efficiency with yep. that having to type everything out or write it down. And Yeah.
1: I also think uh, people are so attached to their mobile phones as well. So I think um, apps for health is probably going to be where a lot yep. of people do end up. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our patients eventually will probably be doing physio through apps yeah, um, and it'll be guided by someone who's sitting on a computer <laughs> probably, so I'm um, helping them that way. That's right. well, I
0: think physiotherapy is so behind the uh, able in terms of developing technology at apps, it's, it's very interesting I don't know what the reason that is mm. but I think it will change at mm. some stage yeah what is one takeaway message you have for new grads?
1: everything's not like what it is in a textbook in real life Mm-hmm. So, understand that you have learnt something, but obviously it's not going to be exactly what we learn. So think about how that can be applied into different aspects of day to day physio mm-hmm. um, and research, or, or look behind that or beyond that to be able to get you know yeah. the outcomes that you desire. Yeah, yeah. so many grey areas. Yes. <laughs> and last
0: question: Where do you see yourself in two, five? Or ten years.
1: <laughs> well, I'm totally winning lot on the weekends, oh. so I'll be. Sorted. I'm sorted. <laughs> Won't be here. Philippines so to, um, the to dive <laughs> Well, I'll be diving definitely. Um, I'll probably just own my own boat and, mm. and cruise around. Uh, even though I get seasick it doesn't doesn't matter too much but uh, no at at this stage I'll I'll still be a physio in in some capacity I think the role that I'm in currently kind of suits how I am as a physio really promoting getting people better quickly um, and progressing to exercise management where where necessary so likely I'll still be doing the same job um but yeah, I'm, I'm sure I will win Lotto at some point. I'm sure. I'm sure you will. <laughs> Chances are good. Well, thanks so much for your time, Tyrone.
0: Uh, hope to hear on the podcast again in the future.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning into PhysioSecrecy, and thank you to Tyrone. Hit the like button if you found this to be a useful podcast or share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable and leave feedback in the comments or reviews section. As always, stay tuned for more juicy content.